here this morning. God is good, amen? Wow, not bad, not bad. A bit surprised here. Sometimes it's hard to say God is good if you feel like some of you guys, some of us feel after this week. It's been an eventful week. A lot of people message, hey pastor, what is going on? What's going to happen? All these things. But like pastor already said, church will continue. Maybe not here physically, but we're going to go online. It's going to continue. Amen. Giving will also be in your cell group. We're going to uh, do all this with your cell group leaders so that we can have good services even in homes. Amen. So God is good. Amen. God is good. Amen. Yes, I believe that. Okay, why don't you uh, swallow up all your saliva? Make sure you have no saliva in your mouth. All nice and clean. Turn to your neighbor and tell him or her, you look lovely today. Ah, you look lovely today. Any spouse didn't turn to their wife? Any husband don't turn to the wife? Now is the time to complain. <laughs> Gonna talk to the husbands. You look lovely today. You know what? I think you needed to hear that because of the fight that you had in the car coming to church. <laughs> gotta, gotta, fighting in the car. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, this is real life, right? Things will happen that don't go our way. Things will happen that causes us to, to sometimes even question, you know what? Is it even the right thing to do right now? But you know what? God is still in control. We have to hold on to that truth that God is in control and that He is sitting on the throne. That He is still good in all of this. God's hand is still moving. And that is an assurance, that is a hope, and that is a faith that we can have that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt God is still there. We are not lost, we are not forgotten, but God is still moving. Last week we talked about the power of faith. That sometimes we come into a situation of our lives where we don't understand what's going on. And all that we have to do is believe in the promise like Rahab did. She had nothing to go on except the promise that the spies gave her that she would be taken care of. She put her hope and her trust in that promise and God spared her. And not only spared her, but made her part of his purpose, part of his destiny, part of the, the thing that he was working in the world. So I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is good and that he has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us, regardless of what the circumstances might tell us. People start to panic. People start to retreat in fear. But this is not a time to retreat in fear. But maybe to just say, you know what? Maybe after all, God is still moving. Because he is. Amen. You know what I was thinking this morning when I was praying? Maybe this is a time where we as a church will experience an Acts chapter 2 moment. That is what Pastor David was mentioning just now. The thing was coming up in my spirit this morning while I was praying. Where the power where the Holy Spirit was given to the young church. Then they started to go out and preach. The, the church exploded. They started to meet in homes everywhere all over. And the church started to multiply. So what the enemy meant for evil. Let's pray that God can turn it for good. That even though it seems like chaotic. It seems like chaos. It seems like I don't know what's going to happen. But God can still produce something good out of this situation. 
So we have to put our hope and our trust in the promises of God. And if we that our faith can rise, our faith can be built up. Today we're going to talk about the second step. And that is the step of obedience. The power of obedience. And we're going to go into the scripture this morning in 2 Kings 4 verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. One day, the widow of a member of the group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now the creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all. Except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. That's where the title of the message comes in. Shut the door behind you. And then it goes on to say, Pour the olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each aside when it is filled. That is the faith part. And then it goes on to say, So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. That is the step of obedience. And then it goes on and says, uh, Bring me another jar, she said. There's no more, her son said. There aren't any more, he told her. And the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. We talked about the power of faith. Today we're going to talk about the power of obedience. See, the thing is, faith comes before obedience. Faith comes before obedience. If you don't trust that something can happen, if you don't really believe, maybe you're not totally convinced, but if you don't believe something can happen, you will not do it. Come on, true or not? Sometimes we take a step of faith, but still we have some kind of hope. Or what if? So let's just try and see what happens. But faith comes before obedience. So we have to make sure that we understand the promises of God. That you can say, God, that is your promise. And because of that promise, even though I have no evidence right now, that is what faith is. I have no evidence. The promises are still true. And because I have that promise, I will take a step of obedience. I do what I actually doesn't even make sense. And that was where this widow came to. She said, you know what? It doesn't even make sense what the prophet asked me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway so in a situation where it seemed the doors are shut the doors are closed god was able to open another door amen last week last friday we had cell group and one of the new members arul came to the cell group and he was sharing he is in sales from coke i hope i say it correctly here but he's in sales for coke and he said you know now with all these things going on a lot of the sales drop because big events are canceled so a lot of the big contracts from coke are missing now but he said and that was really touched me but there's other opportunities that open up now to to work together with maybe crab food or what to sell packages and all these things so he said when one door closes another door can open and at the end of his testimony he was even saying 
When a door closes, God can open another one. Amen. And that is what we believe, that God is still in control. And even though we might be in a situation where it seems chaotic, God can open another door. And maybe it's exactly this situation that God wants to use to show his power. Just like in the situation, now God did not use or God did not cause the situation. But because it was presented to the man of God, God was able to use that situation to have an impact on this widow's life. Come on. It was a tough time for her. She was in fear of losing her two children. She just lost her husband. And now she was at the brim of losing her children, not only losing them, but for them being sold as slaves. She must have thought, oh my God, I have failed as a mother. I have failed as a provider for the family. I have failed. My children are going to be taken away from me. But exactly that situation, God could use to show how powerful he really is. So she was not alone in the situation, even though it might have seen that way to her at that point. But the first thing is that we can learn is that she knew where to seek help. It's not going to be up there. But she knew where to seek help. She came to the man of God. She came to God. Back in the Old Testament, the man of God representing God because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Today we have access to God and we can come to God and see who he really is and what he wants to do. So the first thing up there, what's going to be up there, it says, obedience is the door that unlocks God's provision. Think about it. If she did not obey what the man of God told her, what Elisha told her, she would have never received the miracle. If she didn't step out, go back in her house, shut the door and start to pour out that oil, she would have never received her provision, her miracle. So very often if we are at a point in our life where we don't see God moving, we have to say, God, I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to step out in obedience. And very often we know what that step of obedience already is. But obedience is the door that unlocks God's provision in our life. Amen? God's potential. See, just imagine this. If I would bring out a, a little plate with gunpowder on there or black powder. Obviously not so easy to get a hold of black powder. Otherwise I would have brought it here and had a nice little bonfire. But imagine I have black powder right here. The powder itself is very potential, right? There's a lot of energy stored in that powder. But if I just have it like this, nothing will happen. Correct? It will just be powder. But once I take a flame or a lighter or whatever, a source of ignition, and I put it to the powder, to the black powder, all of a sudden, whoa, it goes up in flames. So the potential, the power that was in the powder was just dormant, just waiting to be released. But the flame, the source of ignition, brought forth the power that was potentially in that powder. The same thing in God. God's grace is there for us. But it is dormant unless we put our faith to it. Unless we take out a step in obedience. All these things are the source of ignition that can use the potential that we have in God's grace and make it alive, come alive in our lives. 
We have to have that faith. We have to have that step of obedience. And the next few uh, sermons that I'm going to preach about, we're going to talk about the, the power of prayer, the power of worship, the power of praise. All these things are sources of ignition that take the power of God, the grace of God, and let it be manifested in our life. So if we don't see God moving in our life, I wonder if we are not putting flame to the potential. If we don't bring out because we don't have faith, or we don't obey, or we don't pray, or we don't praise God. Because all these things will bring out the grace and the power of God into our life. Amen. The first thing that we can learn in this story is that her need was overwhelming. Her need was overwhelming. She came to Elisha and said, what? And then Elisha said, what can I do to help you? Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, except the flask of olive oil, she replied. See, the thing is, when she came to Elisha, she was at the end of her rope. I believe she tried everything already to get out of this, sold everything that she had. So she really had nothing left except that little bit of oil. And then she comes to the man of God in desperation. Because she knew the need that I have is so big. There's no way that I can meet my deadline. There's no way that I can provide so that my sons will not be taken. She was at the end of her hope. And then she came to the man of God. Because in, in, in view of the need, what she actually had seemed like nothing. See, if I have a 50 ringgit note in my hand and I will give it to Riley, she will be very happy. Because then she can go out and buy a phone case. Nothing wrong with her current phone case, but just she wants a new phone case. So if I give her 50 ringgit, she will be more than happy. Go out and buy what she wants to buy. Now if Ravi would come to me and say, Pastor, I have a great business idea. I want to buy a piece of land. And I want to import the finest German pigs that money can buy. And then I'm going to rare pigs. And then once the pigs are nice and juicy and they have nice little piglets and they come to age and then I'm going to slaughter them all and I'm going to have a sausage factory and I'm going to make bacon and I'm going to sell it in the supermarket and it's going to be so awesome. And pastor, to get everything started, I only need five million ringgit. And then I could say, I have 50. See, in the, in the, in the, in the view of five million ringgit, 50 seems like nothing. True or not? If you have such a huge need, just 50 ringgit seems like nothing. It seems insignificant. It seems like, what can I do with 50 ringgit? I need 5 million. And that is a point where it's easy to say, like, I have nothing. Nothing at all. Where actually, there is this 50 ringgit. Actually, there is a little bit that you have. But because the need seems so big. What you actually have seems like nothing. If you go into the original text, she said, uh, what do you have in your house? Then she said, nothing at all, full stop. And then, I'm not sure what happened after that. And then she said, oh wait, except the little flask of oil. But her first response was, I have nothing. And then she realized, hey, maybe I have a little bit. But because the need was so big, what she actually had seemed like nothing and i wonder in our lives where we actually have something but in in what we need 
it seems like nothing. Maybe you say, you know what, my career is stalling. I'm not getting anywhere. I don't have to drive anymore to go to work because I've been uh, gone over my promotion. I have been passed over. I'm not sure what to do. Or you say, oh, my family, my kids don't appreciate me. They don't love me. I cook, I clean, I do the, the laundry and that's never ending and they don't seem to appreciate or love me. Or maybe we say, you know what, maybe my finances are a disaster. I live from paycheck to paycheck. But you know what, we have to change our perspective. That's why Elisha said, he didn't come to, when the widow came, he didn't ask, okay, what do you need? I mean, that would be the logical thing to do, right? Somebody comes, oh, they're going to take my sons, I'm going to sell, sell them as slaves. I would ask, okay, what do you need? How much do you need to pay back in order for you to keep the sons? But Elisha did not ask, what do you need? He asked, what do you have? Simply spoken because he wanted to, her to change the perspective of what do you need to what do you already have? Simply so that you're not overwhelmed with the need in your life. So that you change your perspective from what do you really need to what do you already have. It changes the perspective. We don't focus on the problem anymore. We are focusing on something that could actually help. And I believe that is a point where we have to come this morning. So when you say, you know what, my career is stalling. But at least you have a job. And if you work hard, you work smart, I believe in due time there will be the thing that will pay off. Maybe we say, okay, my, my children don't appreciate me. But at least you have a beautiful family. You know, just last week my kids had exams week. And so by Thursday was the last exam. So they said, Papa, Mommy, we want to go out and celebrate. Because we finished all the exams. So okay, we took those five rascals out. We went out, we sat nicely down at the dessert place, we ordered nice pancakes and ice cream and milkshake. Everybody was sitting down and everybody was in a relatively good mood and they were happy and they were running around and it was nice. But then there are other times where you say, oh my goodness, what did I do to deserve this? What? I have five of them, what? Oh my goodness, there's no more going back. Or is there? Anybody wants adoption? No. <laughs> Sometimes it goes crazy. If they go crazy, it's like, oh my goodness. But then there are times where it's like, oh, it's nice. See, we have to change our perspective. Not to look at the negative. Try to find something positive. Just like Elijah said, don't look at what you need. Look at what you have. And the first response that she had was, I have nothing. Oh, there's nothing good. You know, a marriage going on right now. Are you sure? Come on. I'm sure there is. Maybe it's buried. Maybe you have to look for it. Maybe you have to uncover it. Maybe you have to do something about it, but I'm sure it's still there. Your children love you. Maybe they don't say it, but you know what? They do. At the end of the day, they do. And very often we as parents, if we're in a situation, we don't see it. But the thing is, try to find something good in a situation. Don't focus on the need, but focus on what you have. Because with God, God can really do something. Now the oil was never the provision. It was what God used to provide for. But the source was always God. And that is the second thing that we can learn. Is that she had to pour it out. She had to pour it out. Verse 4, it says, Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. 
pour the olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each aside when it is filled. Now see, it didn't make sense for her to go into the room, shut the door, and start pouring that oil. Now I believe it was that Elijah specifically said, go and shut the door, is so that to see if she would actually follow through. Because it's not that Elijah said, okay, what do you have? A flask of oil. Okay, bring it here. And then she would bring the flask of oil to Elisha. This is what not happened, eh? Bring the flask of oil to Elisha and say, Elisha, okay, send your son to the neighbor, bring a jar. So they bring the jar right there and Elisha is there and then tells the widow, okay, now pour the oil. Yeah, yeah, I know. Pour the oil into the jar. I know it doesn't make sense, but just take the little flask, start pouring it. Yeah, 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 you heard correct. Mm. Take the flask, start pouring. Yeah, in correct. I'm telling you, just take the flask and start pouring. No, into that jar right here. Start pouring. Ah, correct, correct. Come. Pour la. Uncle Ravi, tell her. Pour the, the oil into the jar. If you don't pour the oil, I'm going to come over there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slap you. <laughs> he wasn't there to coach her. He wasn't there to encourage her to pour the oil. He said, you know what? I give you a promise. If you go, shut the door in private. And if you start pouring the oil, it will flow. And every jar will be filled. And put it aside and take the next one and keep pouring and pouring. But then she had to go back, shut the door, and no one was looking. And then she might have thought, that is something stupid. I know what he said I should do, but it doesn't make sense. Why should I waste the little bit that I still have and pour it into an empty jar? It doesn't make any sense. And there was no one to encourage her to say, no, I'm gonna, if you do it, it's gonna work. Come on, just do it. Come on, you can do it. No, there was no one there. So it counted what she did in private. The step of obedience brought the breakthrough in her life. And even in a time where there was no one to encourage her, she had to take that step of obedience. Because once she started to pour, the oil started to flow. Come on, it was not the other way. She had to pour it out first. Then the oil started to flow. The nice thing would have been if she would have taken the jar and then all of a sudden bloop, 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 it comes over and it starts overflowing. And she's like, oh my goodness, where can I pour it? And then pour it into the jar. But that's not what happened. She had to pour first. And then the oil kept flowing. So I wonder where is the times where we have to keep pouring. Maybe it is our marriage. Maybe it is our children. Maybe it is going through tough times at work. But just keep on pouring. Because once you continue to pour, the oil will continue to flow. So never stop pouring. Or if you stopped already, start pouring again. Because once we start to pour, that is when the power of God can be manifested and it keeps on coming. If you feel like you have nothing to give, that is when God can really show his power. You know, when I was in Bible school, a friend of ours, they got married and they decided they want to get married. They're American, but they wanted to get married in a German castle in Germany, in a castle, old castle. So they set the date, everything up. So it happened over a spring break so I could go home and attend the wedding. So I had to drive there. Long story short, it didn't go well. I was driving for nine hours and there was an accident on the autobahn. 
The car in front of me stopped. I managed to stop. The car behind me also managed to stop. The car behind that car couldn't stop in time. So he smashed on the car behind me, pushed that car onto my car, and pushed my car, almost hitting the car in front of me. And then, of course, they shut on the whole autobahn, helicopter came, took one of the guys into the hospital. The police came, made a report, everything, so it was hours wasted. But I made it in time for the wedding. But I was a bit late, I was a bit annoyed. The car was now, had to be fixed. My dad, so my dad's car, not my car. So I had to go and take it to the garage, and oh my goodness, it was not a very pleasant thing. But anyway, the, the wedding went there, the wedding went well, and uh, on the way home, I thought, you know what, I'm not sure if I should have come. I mean, it was nice being at the wedding, I'm sure they appreciated it, but now I have to deal with this whole situation with the car. And then there, I went to, to Phil Petrol, and there was a hitchhiker approaching me. He said, you know what, he has to go there and there. I said, okay, I can take you about halfway. And they were driving in the car, and we were talking. He was talking about his family situation, that he has been uh, not being home in many years, and go on. Then I told him about uh, that I'm a Bible school student, that God loves him, and pour all out on him. And then when I uh, dropped him at the rest stop, I said, you know what, can I pray for you? And I prayed. I mean, I packed everything into that prayer salvation and blessings and restoration for his family everything was in that prayer and he just said okay thank you and then i felt in my heart a small little whisper not a big voice from heaven just a small little whisper in my heart give him the money that you have what i mean i have 45 euros but you know what i am working hard so that i can save money so i can pay my tuition fee so that i can go to malaysia and get married so if I miss my deadline, I cannot pay my tuition, I cannot graduate, I have to wait a whole year. And I want to get married. So I don't want to give the money that I have to this fella that I never even met. And so I was like debating, should I do it or should I do it? But you know what, in a time where I felt like I have nothing to give, once I obeyed God and I actually did, the guy broke down in tears. See my words about the love of God, about how much he loves him, I don't know how much it affected him, but when I gave him what I had, it really broke him down. And I don't know what happened to him. I wish to think that he went back home and everything was fine and now he's married, he has children, he has an awesome life and will be always thankful to me. I don't know what happened. But the thing is, in times where you feel like you have nothing to give, if you release it and you keep pouring, God can use that. That is the time when God can really show how powerful he really is. But it takes a step of obedience. And I know it's easy for me to say that from up here. It is not easy when you are in a situation and you have to put it to practice. I can easily say, oh, I need more patience. God, give us more patience. But then I stand on Kassas in morning traffic and people cutting in in front of me. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't... Not so easy when it comes to really apply it to our lives, is it? But in times where we feel like we have nothing to give, if we step out and we just start pouring, God can really do something. And what I'm not only talking about finances or about giving, I'm talking about your time, about your effort, about what you put into your family, what you put into your career, what you put into your work. If you keep on pouring, it will bear fruit. 
Because that is when God steps in and says, okay, you poured, even though you had nothing left, I'm going to step in and I'm going to help you. I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to give what you need to stay in there. Amen. So even though she had nothing, she had to pour it out. But see, her breakthrough was lying on the other side of obedience. Because she took that step of obedience, even though it didn't make sense, even though she had nothing much to give, that is when her breakthrough came. Number three, with God, what she had was enough. But see, the thing is, God had to be in the picture. Verse four, five. So she did as she was told. Her son kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. When God is in the picture, that little bit that we have is enough. But the whole thing is God has to be in the picture. If we try to do it out of ourselves, I don't know if it will work or not. But if we acknowledge that God is there, he can do something. That is the first step of him coming and giving us what we need. Because God is there. I was just wondering, do you think the disciples knew that Jesus would turn the water into wine? They ran out of wine, right? We know, we, most of us know the story. They ran out of wine at a wedding feast. And then the mother of Jesus said, you know, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And then Jesus said, okay, bring water. Fill these jars. Almost a thousand liters. Fill them up. And they were probably thinking, we need wine. We don't need water. Why is Jesus asking to bring water? Because they had no idea that Jesus would turn that water into wine. But because Jesus was in the picture, what they already had, the water, was enough. Because he performed that miracle. I wonder if the disciples knew that five loaves, or actually five little buns and two fish would be enough. Probably not, right? Jesus said, okay, go around, see what you have. And they came back with five chasu paus and two ikambilis. <laughs> no, not quite. Two small fish. It was a small boy's lunch. It's not a big meal, not a huge fish, not a whole loaf of gardenia bread. It was just little buns and two fish, small fish. They had no idea that that could be enough. But because Jesus was in the picture, he took it, he multiplied it, and it was enough for everyone and even leftovers. See, if God is in the picture, something can really happen. Do you think that a blind man ever thought that Jesus' spit and a little bit of dirt, the mud that he made, would bring his eyesight back? Probably not. But what did he have to lose? But see, with Jesus in the picture, it was possible. Do you think that Zacchaeus ever expected Jesus to stop at the tree and call him down and say, you know what, I'm going to come to your house today? No! All that was unexpected. There was something. But because Jesus was there, it turned into more than enough. What she had, this little bit of oil, because Jesus stepped into the picture. What she had was more than enough. That's why she could sell it, pay her debt back, and she could even live off the rest of the leftovers. That's what the Bible says. So when God comes and he blesses us, he blesses us in abundance. Not just barely enough, but more than enough. But it takes a step of obedience. It takes a step of faith to say, God, I'm going to trust your promise. 
I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that you are still in control. And I'm going to take that step. And even if I feel I don't have much, I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to start pouring. I'm going to continue pouring. Because once I pour, God can really step in. Amen. Can the praise team come this morning, please? You know, God wants to be involved. Sometimes it feels like, come on, if you're really honest, sometimes it feels like we are trying to pray and come to God and we are, we are feeling like we, we have to twist the arm of God. It's like with my prayer, that's why I'm going to pray, I'm going to persist in prayer and I'm going to God and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. But God wants to be involved. More than we are aware of it, God wants to be involved in our life. You know, just last week I, I read a, a, a quote that really hit me. I'm not sure who said it. It was just popping up on my Facebook and said, uh, we, have, uh, we have wasted more of God's provision than the enemy could ever steal because we didn't pray for it. We have a need, but instead of bringing it before God, we are just trying to find out a solution and we forfeit the provision that is actually there. And we have forfeited more of God's provision than the enemy can ever steal from us. What we have to do is we have to come to God and say, God, I know that you are in the picture. I know that you are real. I know that you can do something. So in my lack, in my need that I have, I focus on you and I'm going to pour. I'm going to pour. The little bit of love that I have left for my marriage, for my family, I'm going to pour it into their lives. Whatever I have left to go to work, I'm going to pour it. I'm going to give my best and I believe that God will come and He will multiply and that He will help me to keep on pouring. Because once we pour, God will step in. Amen? Once we pour, God will step in. Let us rise to our feet this morning.